So this morning we're going to uh, be picking up the next in our series, uh, Power for You. Uh, This morning's entitled, The Power of a Prayer. And uh, we're going to read some verses in a moment from the book of Acts. But we do believe that God answers prayer. And this morning I, I believe God's going to encourage us and stir us and provoke us to be people who pray. So we're going to read a passage. It's, uh, uh, it's a, a long passage, but so I'm only reading excerpts of it. Um, and it's from Acts chapter 10, and it's going to come up behind me. So this is what it says. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. The story rolls on, and now we uh, come to uh, the second character in the story. Move on from Cornelius, and we pan uh, to Joppa. And it says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. So Peter then goes and he goes off with these three guys and he arrives at Cornelius's house and then he, they unpack about what's happened. Cornelius tells him how he's seen this angel and the angel has told him to send for him and they're waiting to hear what Peter's going to say to them. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And Peter unpacks this glorious gospel, this good news about what Jesus came to do to open up a way for us to have a relationship with God. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who'd come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. 
Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It is an extraordinary story. I don't know, do you uh, hear, uh, you don't hear many extraordinary stories, or, or do you? The other week I was talking to someone uh, who's uh, part of the church here, young man, and uh, he was telling me this story. He has a friend who uh, is an atheist and uh, was an ardent atheist, and uh, he's known him for many years. And uh, this, uh, uh, he had a number of people praying for him over the years, but this lad was an atheist. He was absolutely convinced there was no God, didn't believe in God. Anyway, he went to hear uh, a, 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 a clinical uh, psychologist, a guy called Jordan Peterson, uh, who is not a Christian, uh, in London. And uh, he went to hear him. And uh, this guy, Jordan Peterson, I don't know if you've seen him. He's been on the t- television. There's a famous interview he did fairly recently. Very bright guy, not a Christian, but he has a lot of sympathy for uh, the Christian message in terms of, uh, 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 in terms of the existence uh, in terms of uh, what we teach, what we believe, how we uh, deal with issues in terms of home and family and uh, roles in the home, that sort of thing. And, and so he's, he speaks very strongly and very warmly of the church, even though he isn't a believer. Anyway, this lad went to London to hear him talk because he's a, a well-known speaker. And his arguments were so persuasive that this lad, when he got home, he texted this friend of his who comes here and said, I just want you to know, I've been to hear this guy in London and because of what he's heard, I've come to faith. I've put my trust in Jesus. How, how can you write a story like that? You couldn't write the script. He goes to hear someone who's not a Christian, who convinces him that actually all his arguments, they're, they're shot through with holes and this guy, young lad, comes to faith. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. How does that work? Paul, the Apostle Paul, simply says this. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. God's ways are beyond tracing out. In 2 Samuel, it talks about God devising ways for estranged people, people who are far from him, to come into relationship with himself. This is, what, this is what the remarkable story that we've just read in Acts chapter 10 is all about. The unfathomable ways of God and the power of a prayer. As a result, an incredible chain of events unfold. Cornelius and Peter may be center stage, but behind the scenes, the hand of God, the hand of an almighty God is at work, working out his purposes. Cornelius and Peter, very different. Cornelius is a centurion in uh, what's known as the Italian regiment of the Roman army. He's responsible for uh, probably a hundred men, maybe more than a hundred men in what was occupied territory. He was a hardened soldier, a man who didn't run from conflict. But more importantly to this story, he was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. The the Jews referred to everyone who wasn't Jewish, they referred to them as Gentiles. 
Luke tells us that Cornelius feared God. And by that he meant that Cornelius believed in the existence of a God who was, uh, 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 was in control of the world as he understood it. As far as the Jews were concerned, Gentiles were not on God's radar. God wasn't particularly interested in Gentiles. They were God's people. He had given them special laws to ensure they remained people who could worship him. And these laws, if you like, these rules and regulations, what they could eat and where they went, it set them apart. They were different. They were God's people. Peter knew all about those laws. They, they involved what he could eat and what he couldn't eat. Peter was one of Jesus' first disciples. He was a key leader in the early church. And the church at that time was biologic, it was Jewish. It was a Jewish group of people, by and large. And in this passage, both men are praying something which they both did regularly. Both men were men of prayer. And unbeknownst to them, God was about to change the direction of the church in a moment. He was about to do something that was extraordinary in response to their praying. You see, if we believe in the power of a prayer to bring breakthrough, it will be our first thought and not our last resort. As we focus on the power of prayer and the power uh, that God uses through our prayers, we're going to draw out some simple truths that are going to help us this morning. You know, I often hear people say this. They say, as as you're talking, they go, yeah, yeah, I know that, I know that. In fact, I do it myself. Usually, I have no idea. I usually say, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. I don't. It's something that we do. We often do it. You see, the first point is simple and obvious. If we really knew it and knew the power of a prayer, we would be people who prayed. Our lack of prayer exposes our heart. So the first thing I want to draw out this morning is this. God hears our heartfelt prayer. As Cornelius prayed, everything changed. Genuine requests touch the heart of God. Do you know what it is when someone's genuine? You know there's sometimes when people come to you and they make requests of you and you're not sure whether they're genuine? You know they have those moments where people come and say, oh excuse me Gov, uh, I haven't got any money and, and, and you're like, are they genuine or aren't they genuine? We don't know. Sometimes, we, sometimes we're not sure. There were moments like that with Jesus. There's an incident with Jesus where uh, he's in uh, Tyre and Sidon and uh, uh, he, this, this lady comes to him. She's a Canaanite. She's not, she's, not a, 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 she's not a Jewess. She's a Gentile. And she comes to Jesus and she says, my daughter's troubled uh, and uh, I think she's got some sort of spirit controller. Will you come and set her free? And Jesus doesn't even ignore her. But she doesn't give up. See, Jesus is testing. Is she really genuine? And then he says, oh, uh, 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 you know, I, I'm just here doing things. I'm, I'm praying for Jews at the moment. And she says, well, even crumbs from the table would be satisfactory, would you? And Jesus goes, your faith is great. He sees she's serious. He feels, he senses her heartfelt prayer. 
God hears heartfelt cries. It's true. God hears our heartfelt cries and sometimes his silence is because he wants to know, are we really serious? Throughout the Bible we see God hearing heartfelt prayers from people genuinely crying out to the only one they believed could help them. God is never taken in by the sham. God is never taken in by the casual, take it or leave it. God hears though heartfelt prayers. He sees our heart. He understands every motive, even when we don't. God hears the authentic cry of any who seek his help, irrespective of their background. How do we know that's true? Well, we only have to look at Jesus. Jesus is, we're told in Colossians 1.15, is the image of the invisible God. So in the Old Testament, we, we, we see, we understand a little of God. We see in shadows and types, but we don't understand much about God. But when we see Jesus, we see the image of God. And when the way Jesus deals with people and handles people and relates to people, we see his compassion for people. We see the heart of God. We see the heart of God. Jesus is moved by, to compassion by the cries for help. From two lepers. Two lepers are crying out. Jesus is moved with compassion. That's what God's like. God hears heartfelt cries. God resp- responds to the cry of the rich, the poor, the Jew, the Gentile, the slave, the free. In the Old Testament, we see, we see God responding to Abraham's cry for his nephew and his nephew's family and the city and the community where he lived. We read of God responding to Isaac's prayers for his wife who's barren, to Hannah's similar prayers. We see God responding to the cries of David when David's in trouble. And to Jonah when he's uh, 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 been swallowed by a well. God hears heartfelt cries. That's what the, uh, the Old Testament teaches us. God responds to the great and the good as well as the broken and the needy. He hears and responds to individuals. But he also hears and responds to groups of people. And we read how uh, uh, the people of Nineveh, God is angry at the way, they've, uh, the, the way they're uh, trampling over nations. And they're abject, turning, uh, they wouldn't even consider God. And God comes in judgment and Jonah speaks to them and challenges them. And the whole city turns back to God and they, they, they cry out, they pray. They seek God's face, they call urgently on God and God relents because he hears the heartfelt cry of people. God loves people. In British history there are moments, there are remarkable moments. In the, if you've seen the film Dunkirk... And the moment when the British expeditionary force are about to be annihilated. And uh, they, they, they've lost the, the battle. It looks all over. They're about, the whole British army is about to be destroyed. And King George VI calls for a national day of prayer. A national day of prayer. Everybody 
prayed that day. That picture is a bit grainy, but that is outside Westminster Abbey. That is people queuing to pray, to go in and pray. The nation prayed, cried out for mercy. God, have mercy on us. Let me tell you what happened as a result of that prayer. Suddenly, there was a violent storm over Flanders and the area around Dunkirk. It lasted for a long time. The Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, were unable to get in the air. At the same time there was this violent storm, the sea of the channel was remarkably calm. It's like a mill pond. And thousands of little boats went over and rescued hundreds of thousands of lives. Accident? No, no, no. The hand of God. A merciful God who hears the prayer of those who turn to him. You see, God responds to the prayers of Cornelius who's not yet saved. He's not even saved and God hears his prayer. God is no respecter of people and shows no favoritism. He hears the genuine heart cries of us all. Cornelius prayers and his generosity they've come before God God notices God notices what you do he notices your attitude it doesn't pass him by and God sends an angel Cornelius this fearless soldier is terrified terrified and to his shock he finds that this distant impersonal deity that he'd prayed to he suddenly finds out that this God is a personal God who's interested in him. God actually heard his prayer. God hears everything we say. Maybe we ought to be a little bit more careful with what we say. Honesty is good. God doesn't mind our honesty. Grumbling isn't good. We grumble about God. We are honest with God. If our genuine prayers feel like they're hitting the ceiling, I want to tell you this. God is not ignoring us. No heartfelt prayer is ever forgotten by God. God doesn't forget requests. There are moments when uh, at home and um, Annie said something to me. She asked me to do something and I'm, I'm thinking, what did she say? Did she say I should put the bin out before the football or after it? I think I'll go with after, it's safer. I Sometimes I just can't remember because I'm not really paying attention. God, it's not like that. No prayer, heartfelt prayer, is lost before God. Spurgeon said this. If you believe in prayer at all, expect God to hear you. If you do not expect, you will not have. God will not hear you unless you believe he will hear you. But if you believe he will, he will be as good as your faith. How encouraging is that? Do we pray expecting God to hear us? God hears our heartfelt prayers. Secondly, God answers prayer in his own way. God is not predictable. Oh God, he always does that. We say that at our peril. 
It just isn't true. C.S. Lewis uses a phrase in his Narnia uh, books. He says, God is not tame. He is good. That's the sort of sense of paraphrase of what he's saying. God is not tame. He is, but he is good. He will not do what we want him to do. He will not have his arm twisted by us. He is God and we are not. Peter is happily praying. He's waiting for lunch. Suddenly, God speaks to him in the most disconcerting way. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. He has this vision of this, almost like a sail coming down. And on it, all sorts of animals that, as a Jew, he knew wasn't supposed to touch or eat. And he goes, oh no, Lord, I've never done anything like that. Peter is not sure what God is saying. God's saying something and it's deeply troubling. The point is this, God has a plan. God has a plan. Peter doesn't know what it is, but God has a plan. And God has had a plan from the beginning. He's always working out his good, his perfect, and his pleasing will. God's plan goes back long before Cornelius and Peter were ever on the scene. Jesus' death on our behalf was planned before the foundation of the world. That's what the book of Revelation tells us. God planned it. He planned to send his son to rescue people like us. Because we needed rescuing. Jew and Gentile, we needed rescuing. We were lost, without hope, far from God. And God in his mercy made a way that we could come into the presence of a holy God when he sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf. Jesus took our punishment that we might be made right with God. How extraordinary. God's plan. Long before the foundation of the world. God chose the Jewish nation to be a light to the rest of the world. They were to be a light to us that there is one true God. That's why he chose them. And God was angry with them when they didn't reflect him in the way that they should. God is working out his plan. It may look like to you that God is doing nothing. It may feel like God has taken his hands off the steering wheel. Be assured he hasn't. If we rely, if we rely on what we can see and understand, we are in trouble because we are not God and He is. We need to rely on what we read in the Bible, the inspired Word of God. We need to focus on Jesus who helps us understand a little bit more about the purposes of God. And we need to be daily filled with the Spirit. Listen to what the Proverbs say. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. We have many plans. We've got plans for everything. What are we going to do this afternoon? What are we going to have for lunch? We've got plans for everything. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. So what about when God isn't doing what we expect? Have you ever found that to be true? You've got expectations and God just isn't playing ball. He's not doing what you expect him to do. Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing what I expect? Well, in Matthew chapter 11, I was reading this passage earlier this week. Matthew chapter 11, the first six verses, it talks about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is now in prison and uh, he's, John the Baptist has come and he's prepared the way for Jesus' arrival. He knows that Jesus is God's son because he heard God say it. 
So when he's baptizing Jesus, he hears God say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He actually sees the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove and and God says to him, that's my son. John actually acknowledges it to some of his followers. He says, as Jesus walks by, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knows that Jesus is the one. He's the Messiah. He's God's deliverer, the one sent to deliver his people. And then John, he's in prison and um, he hears Jesus is traveling around Galilee. This isn't what John expected. It just isn't what he expected. He's disappointed. Jesus is meandering around Galilee and John thought he was going to deliver the nation. John thought he was going to be doing some great things in the city and turning everybody's hearts to him. And actually Jesus is wandering around in the wilderness. What on earth is going on? John starts to lose heart and he sends two of his disciples and he sends them to Jesus to ask him, are you the one or should we look for another? Jesus tells the two disciples who come to him, go and tell John all the miracles you're seeing and that the good news is being preached to the needy and the poor. And then he says this, listen to this. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. What an extraordinary thing to say. Blessed is the man who does, you wouldn't expect, you'd expect him to say the converse, the opposite of that. Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away, fall away on account of Jesus. What's Jesus saying? John is disappointed with Jesus. He's not doing, Jesus isn't doing what he expected. We can be all like that. We pray over health, our health, our job, our finances, our relationships. We pray. We believe he hears us, but he doesn't do what we expect him to do. Jesus knew that John was missing what God was doing right in front of his nose. And he says, go and tell John what you're seeing. John needed to focus on what he could see, not what he couldn't see. We need to focus on what God is doing, not on what he's not doing. Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. God answers prayer in his own way. The third thing, God uses our prayers to deal with our heart. Soren Kiergaard says this, prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. (laughs) I mean, this is a great truth. As our relationship grows with God through prayer, God changes us. You see, the end result of Cornelius' praying was Cornelius was different. We see a different Cornelius. After praying on the rooftop, Peter was never the same. The one who didn't change was God. Peter was convinced of the importance of prayer. He deliberately had stepped back from practical pastoral responsibilities in the early church because he knew he needed to spend more time in prayer and Bible study. You can read about that in Acts chapter 6. The other apostles did the same. And so Peter wasn't surprised when God spoke to him. But he was shocked what God spoke to him about. 
The Holy Spirit had to tell him to go with Cornelius' entourage because God knew he would hesitate. God knew that he was going to struggle with this. So God spoke to him again by the Holy Spirit. And as a result of prayer, God is dealing with Peter's prejudices. He's dealing with what's going on in his heart. You see, these religious rules and regulations governed Peter's and all Jews' lives. Once it had been of benefit, once it had been helpful, they stood as a reminder that God was holy and they were God's set-apart people. But Jesus' death and resurrection had changed all of that. Jesus had made it possible for anyone to draw near to God. Anyone to draw near to God. The old rules were no longer relevant. Peter, I think Peter probably had understood a little about it because he was staying in the house of Simon the Tanner. And uh, a tanner, uh, it was dealt with the tan, the hides, leather, uh, from dead animals touching dead bodies. That, that was something a Jew wasn't supposed to do. So Peter was probably already uh, some way there. But God needs to deal with his heart. He needs to deal with the root issue. Three times Peter sees the vision. Three times God tells him, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. God was serious. See, our prejudices run deep. Mostly we don't even realize that they're there. See, as we pray, God starts to reveal and deal with issues. As we pray, as we draw near to him, he starts to deal with with our hearts. Have you ever found that? It starts to deal with issues of unforgiveness. Our sense of entitlement. I mean, we deserve stuff, but others don't. No, don't do it for them. They don't deserve it. We're entitled. Judgmentalism. We write people off so quickly. When we pray, we find God starts to speak to our hearts. Our hidden motives. Have you ever found that? You think your motives are as pure as the driven snow and then you suddenly find, actually underneath it there's something quite ugly and greedy, selfish. As we pray we suddenly realise how competitive we are. Praying is a dangerous business. Here's what I've learned. Annie and I just want you to imagine we've had a row. Just imagine. So we've had a row, and this is what I've learned. God deals with us when we pray. So we've had a row, and what I've learned is let her have her quiet time first. Because if she has her quiet time first, actually God will speak to her, deal with her heart, and then I'll get a text. Steve, I'm really sorry. really. When you come before God, God deals with you. I find God deals with my heart. When we've had a row, I find God deals with my heart. He doesn't let it go. He won't let me go. He loves me too much to leave me in the state that I'm in, in the arrogant, proud, selfish state I get myself in, because I'm right. God deals with a heart. Praying is a dangerous business. And if we're serious about prayer, then we better be ready for change 
and be ready to change. Fourthly, God wants us to partner with him through prayer. God wants, the God of heaven, the God who created the heavens and the earth wants to partner with us. How extraordinary is that? Why would he choose to use Cornelius and Peter to make this happen? Extraordinary. Let me give you a little insight of how this, this still happens today. So, eight years ago, John Groves and I, uh, John invited me here to lead the church. This is how it happened. I'm out praying early one morning in October, the end of October. And as I'm walking in Old Bursledon, it's dark, it's pitch black, and I'm praying, God, what am I going to do? Where are you? What are you speaking to me about? And I felt God say to me very clearly, you will go to Winchester to lead Winchester Family Church as it was then, now Hope Church. I'm like, I felt it's so clear. It doesn't happen to me very often. I went home and I said to Annie, I, I think God's just spoken to me about I'm going to go to Winchester. And she laughed. She said, what's John going to do? I said, I don't know. Didn't tell me about that. <laughs> at the same time, at the same time, God is starting to speak to John about it's time for him. He's got other things for him to do and it's time for... And, and over a period of six months, God is speaking to me and John. In fact, there were a moment where both John and I thought, oh, well, this isn't going to work. And it was Marion and Annie were the ones who were going, actually, God's still in, God's in this. And there came a moment where God brought it all. So I'm here out of a moment like that. John is doing what he's doing in India this last week with Marion. Extraordinary. They did a, such a fantastic job. I tell you, they were a real blessing to the church in Bangalore. I mean, I just commend them to you. Uh, Jonathan and Fran, who were out there with him, said, we are so impressed with what they have done and the way they've handled themselves and handled what's a really difficult situation. That happened because of a moment like this. God wants us to partner with him. Both Cornelius and Peter had a part to play. God still has a plan he's working out. You know, why does God choose to do it that way? I have to say, I don't know. Why would he choose to use flawed characters like you and me? Honestly, it's a mystery hidden in the greatness and mercy of God. God, throughout the Bible, chooses to use ordinary people. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, Jonah, and the list goes on and on and on. And Jesus did the same. He chooses 12 unlikely disciples and calls them to follow him. More than that, he trains them and to, to do the things he was doing. And then he went back to heaven and promised to send the Holy Spirit to help them and us. And the church that we see spread across the world, growing in every accord, probably the part of the world where the church, uh, Jesus' church is, is growing least is in uh, the West. Across the world, the church is growing. People are coming to Christ in their thousands. God chooses to use the church. Why? If nothing else, it brings him glory. You see, prayer's two-way. We speak to God, but God speaks to us. And the problem is, we don't, when we don't hear what he's saying, we should be, when we pray, we should be expectant that God's going to speak to us through the Bible, through our circumstances, through other people. We should be expectant that God is going to talk to us because he's a God who speaks today. The problem is, we, is when we don't hear what he's saying. Andrew Murray said this, each time before you intercede, before you pray, 
Be quiet first. Each time before you intercede, be quiet first and worship God in his glory. Think of what he can do and how he delights to hear the prayers of his redeemed people. Think of your place and privilege in Christ and expect great things. We come to our Father. We come to our Father through the Son, Jesus, who laid down his life for us. And we come by the Holy Spirit. And if God doesn't withhold his own Son from us, how will he not give us all things? God will speak to us and our responsibility is to do what he says. Sometimes he tells us to stop doing things. Sometimes he tells us to start doing things. The key is our obedience. Peter had to go and enter a Gentile home and listen to what God was saying. He shared the good news about Jesus and then he baptised them all. It was a game-changing moment. God can do anything through people who are obedient. How encouraging is that? He isn't phased by impossible situations. God loves the impossible. He gets more glory the more impossible it is. Nothing is too difficult for him. Let's choose to be those who listen and do what he says. Finally, as we come to a close, God breaks through as a result of prayer. God breaks through. Here's this moment. You see, for Cornelius, fearing God wasn't enough. He was religious in his own way. Fearing God wasn't enough. If you're here this morning and you're here probably because you believe in God, you're a God-fearer. Maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ. Well, if you haven't, let me tell you, fearing God is not enough. You need to come to a place, a personal place of putting your trust in Jesus. And so Peter preaches to Cornelius and his friends and family. He preaches Jesus Christ raised from the dead, who died on their behalf, but now is alive forevermore. And he says, it says in verse 36, he preaches Christ Lord of all. Jesus Christ is God's answer to this sin-sick world. And Jesus, only Jesus can rescue us. He is Lord of all, whether you like it or not. And he deserves our lives. He deserves us to bow the knee before him and submit and obey him. And when we do that, the Bible says we're born again and saved. And you can do that today if you've never done it. God breaks through as a result of prayer. One heartfelt cry. God will hear. God answers prayer. Had a, uh, uh, my son, Joe, is, is getting married and um, he was talking to me about it in recent months. And, and I, I wanted to find out, because he's just started work, he hasn't got much money, and, uh, but he loves God and I, I want to try and help him. And I d- didn't have the money to help him. So I, I start to pray and I've been praying, God, would you give me, and I was praying about a sum of money. God, would you help me? I don't know, I don't know where this is going to come from. Can you help me? And then someone came and uh, was talking to me and said, oh, I think you might be entitled to something. And so they sent off this letter, and so I did it. And over a period of a couple of weeks, this, I, I was praying for, for £5,000. Okay? Within a, a few weeks, £5,200 later, and I'm able to go and give it to my boy. Amazing. 
How good is God? Now, I tell you that not because it's a big, because God hears our heartfelt cries. Now, it doesn't always work like that. It doesn't always work like that. Because God does things in his own way. But I want to tell you, God hears our heartfelt cry. God breaks through as a result of prayer. When we pray, there's a response in heaven. God may respond in his own good time, but no humble, genuine, heartfelt prayer is mislaid. Cornelius and Peter's prayers and their obedience to God, what God says results in an extraordinary breakthrough of the gospel amongst Cornelius' household and friends. All of them are saved in answer, in God, God's power at work. God answers prayer most powerfully and they're all saved. There's some things that are ahead of us at the moment. We, as, as elders, we're sensing that God's speaking to us about a second sight. I tell you, everything within me thinks, it's easy not to do it. And someone gave me a, a picture uh, 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 this week of, of, of me rock climbing, free, fall, you know, free rock climbing. Let me tell you, I've never done it. I'm never going to do it, all right? But... And I'm climbing, as in this, he says, see this picture of me rock climbing, and, and uh, he says, this, you, you've just got to jump for the next ledge. And it's higher than you are, but he says, I see you doing it, and there's a stretch ahead of you. God has been, we're seeking God about this. We're asking God, God speak to us, because we're praying, we're saying, God speak to us. We're expecting God to speak to us. We're going to take a step of faith and if God wants us to stop, he'll stop us. But we're saying, God, speak to us because he's a God who answers prayer. And it's, what's it for? Is it about more seats? more? No, it's about reaching people with the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. And we're expecting God to answer prayer, to break through. You see, it's time to get serious about prayer. The God of heaven answers heartfelt prayer. He does it in his own way. Blessed is he who doesn't fall away on account of me. Let's not be those who get lost in our expectations and we stop looking at what God is doing and we focus on what God isn't doing. Prayer is a dangerous business. And if we're going to be people of prayer, we're going to find out that God deals with us and our hearts. He wants us to get involved. He wants to involve us. He chooses to involve you. How great is that? What a privilege. Prayer is always the precursor to breakthrough. If you want breakthrough, then you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to beseech the God of heaven to break through. Let me leave you with what Max Lucado says about prayer. Our prayers may be awkward, our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. It's not about us, it's not about you, it's always about us, isn't it? It's about me. We live in such a me-centric society. It's about him. It's about the God of heaven. And if he hears our cry, it doesn't matter how feeble, how pathetic, how, maybe the grammar may be wrong. We may even stumble over our words, but he knows. He hears our heartfelt prayers. He is God, and we are not. We're going to worship God. I'm going to ask the musicians to come and join me and lead us in a song.
But as they come out, I want us just to be ready to respond to God in our hearts. Come on, let's stand together. You see, God, God owns, it's, it's all God's. And we want to see God's kingdom come amongst us in our personal situations, in our personal circumstances. We see God's breakthrough. But we want to see it in the church and in this city. We want to see God's kingdom come. That's what we're crying for. Come on, let's just pray for a moment and then the musician's going to lead us in a song. Why don't you, right at this moment... Start to let your heartfelt cry rise before God. What is it you're crying out for? Let it rise up before God right now. You tell him what's on your heart. And then I'm going to pray for us as a people. And then we're going to worship God. And allow him to come by his spirit. Father, we thank you that you're a God who hears prayer. What an extraordinary statement that is. The God of heaven hears our cries, our heartfelt cries. We thank you that you are a God who listens and hears us. We thank you that you're a God who answers prayer. We thank you that you're a, you are God and we are not and you do what you want to do. Your plans and your purposes always prevail. We say, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come in our lives in this church and in this city. Lord, let your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be God in this place, we say. We worship you, living God. You are great and mighty and awesome. Jesus, you are a magnificent saviour. You are magnificent. We worship you. Thank you for saving us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But you did it. Thank you for dying on our behalf. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you here right now. Come and fill us with boldness and courage. Stir us to be men and women who believe in the power.